some years ago, a company called De Beers, you may know them, they mine diamonds and sell them. In fact, they probably control most of the diamond market. De Beers was struggling to sell diamonds because in the old days, couples, when they got married, couples, when they got engaged, they didn't actually give people diamond rings. Probably the most common uh, engagement rings, wedding rings, weren't diamonds. They were emeralds and rubies or family heirlooms or your grandmother's ring. They were passed down. People didn't have the habit of buying diamonds like they have done in recent years. And so De Beers was struggling with this market and wondering how do we sell diamonds so what they did is they went to an advertising agency called Aya NY Aya and they were a an advertising agency um based out of i believe somewhere in the US Pennsylvania so um i mean a very old advertising agency and it, I think it sold itself out to publicists back in the day. Anyway, uh, so they went to NY, NW, Ayer and Son, and they uh, said, look, we have this problem. We want to sell diamonds. And uh, the problem is, is people don't actually want diamonds. They want emeralds and rubies. So NW, Ayer came up with this advertising campaign called A Diamond is Forever which was named, I think, in advertising magazine or advertising age as, as, as the most iconic advertising campaign of the 20th century. And it's one of the most respected advertising campaigns for ad execs. When they talk about naming your favorite ad campaign, a lot of people mention this one, A Diamond is Forever. Because you've seen the ads, if you've seen the print ads, there were maybe, you know, like a, a couple sort of just in maybe shadows or, you know, it's like a very aspirational couple, beautiful, often white, um, very middle class. And he's giving her a diamond. And, you know, it wasn't just that. It was the whole sort of advertising that went around it. It was, for example, the relationship between ad agencies and media and, and what ad agencies like Iowa would do, they would go to newspapers and they would share stories of celebrities who were spotted engaged. So there would be, you know, this celebrity and that Hollywood actress and, you know, she was wearing a diamond ring and therefore something was happening. And this helped perpetuate this idea of diamonds into the public narrative, just in the same way that ad agencies use influencers to get products out to the market today. People like Kim Kardashian or that woman and the cyanide drink pushing it out to market. And they were the old fashioned, you know, the actors were the old school influencers. So they would push this onto the market and get people onto this idea that I need a diamond. And what they then did is they started to infiltrate people's ideas of self-worth. Because if anything the power of advertising hasn't been giving people positive self-imagery, but in, in a way, eroding self-confidence by making you feel that you're not enough. And one of the most powerful manifestations of that was this idea that the man had to buy the woman a diamond ring based on three months' salary. Three months' salary. 
Think about that. That didn't exist until a diamond is forever was invented. It was the infiltration of media and the public consciousness with this idea that you are not worth it unless you spend three months salary on your woman. And he certainly isn't worth her if he doesn't do that. Which is this ultimately scalable business model is that, you know, it's just a flexible pricing model that we can charge you as much money as you have. I mean, what a marvelous business idea that is that you pay us as much as you have. Like if you've got, if you earn a thousand dollars a month, pay us 3000. If you are a million dollars a month, pay us 3 million. What a marvelous business model that is. But it worked because they managed to infiltrate consciousness. They managed to get people to buy into the story and the worldview that somehow our self-worth was tied to how much money we could spend on a diamond. And it was a, double-sided market, they eroded the self-confidence of men to believe that they're not worthy if they can't afford that. And they also eroded the self-confidence of women by suggesting that he wasn't worth her attention if he didn't do that for her. And they eroded the self-confidence of all the people around them, aunts and uncles, grandmothers and sisters and brothers, by infiltrating them with this similar narrative that you are only good as as good as the value of the diamond that you buy for the woman. And that has persisted for many, many years. We haven't challenged it. And we've bought into this idea that a diamond is forever. But ironically, a diamond isn't forever. Physically, it is forever. It lasts a very long time. And yet, financially, a diamond is an extremely bad investment. Because try sell a secondhand diamond and you get a fraction of the price you paid for it. Unless, for example, you're selling Elizabeth Taylor's diamonds, Richard Burton's diamonds, which carry some kind of story associated with them. But for average people, for mere mortals, resale diamonds are actually very poor investments. You are better off buying precious metals. Gold, silver can be melted down and sold for pretty much the same price that they were bought for. But diamonds cannot. You can't melt a diamond down and its resale value is very poor. So what's the point? My point is, is that advertising, the model is of a different era. Branding is of a different era. It no longer works. You know, we're moving from an era where brands were defined by advertising agencies to one now where brands are defined by people and experiences. We're moving from an era of campaigns to one of conversations. From one of top-down monolithic narratives to pluralistic narratives. That whole idea of reputation comes from the Latin word reputare. Putare means to count. It was defined by how many times I could count you telling that story. And it was a monolithic pipeline model of communication, whereas now it's based on as good as the conversations people say about you. If 
N.W.I.R. said a diamond is forever, a diamond was forever. But now there are pluralistic narratives about what is value and what is the world truth. And the official narrative is just one bird in the tree. So branding, which was the official monolithic narrative of who we are and what we do and what our value is, is dead. We should no longer think about branding. We should think about, rather than building brands, we should think about what is the shape of the business that we need to become because people follow people, not brands. When you think about automotive as an example, the most valuable automotive company in the world today is Tesla. And if anything, Tesla is testament to the fact that people follow people, not brands. The CEO, Elon Musk, is an iconic figure. Love him or hate him. He stands for everything that Tesla buyers aspire to. Because now people don't need to buy cars for transport. People buy cars for self-worth, for fulfilling and communicating the story of who they are to other people. Because if I want to get from A to B, I hire Grab or I hire Uber and it takes 12 minutes and $17 and I don't care if I'm going in a Toyota Prius or not or a Mazda 3 or not. So when it comes to transport, I don't care about the brand. Now, let's bring it back. We have to think about that future shape of business that we need to become. If the old model of business was a loudspeaker, which was telling people as loud as possible that a diamond is forever, the new model is a telephone. The old model was one-to-many broadcast. The new model is many-to-many conversation. The old model was one of campaigns. The new model is one of many pluralistic conversations of which the official narrative is just one. Branding is dead. We shouldn't be thinking about building brands. Rather, in the digitally transformed model of business, we should be thinking about the storytelling organization. In the old model, we were brand narratives, brand templates. These are the colors of our brand. These are what we say about the brand. This is what we say and this is what we don't say. In the new model, these are the guidelines and the guardrails. No more templates. In the old model, we gave the loudspeaker to the ad agency. We gave the loudspeaker to the creative agency and they used our budgets to win awards. Cannes Lions. The biggest festival of irrelevance. Today, we give the loudspeaker to our people. In the old world, we gave the speaker, the loudspeaker to actors. Actors, influences, fake. Today, we give the tools to our people. Real, authentic 
humans to tell their stories and we give them the guardrails and the green lights of who we are these are the guidelines these are the key talking points these are the meta messages of what we stand for as an organization you can talk about them in your way your interpretation of this truth but it has to be your truth because you know 150 people and you can connect with them in an authentic way in the old model one person, one voice spoke to hundreds of thousands of people. In the new model, thousands of people speak to thousands of people. Everything is changing. This is the digital transformation of communication. Brand to storytelling organization. Loudspeaker to telephone. One to many to many to many. Pipeline to platform. Control to curation, efficiency to authenticity, advertising to conversations, ad agencies to our people, influencers to our own fans. Of course, people ain't going to like it. People are going to fight it because there's a vested interest. The Cannes Festival of Irrelevance is millions, if not billions of dollars of invested time and money into advertising. Jerry Della Femina, who gave us Meow Mix, the cat food so good that cats ask for it by name, was a very traditional madman, adman, and in many cases, we still aspire to be like Jerry Della Femina. We aspire to be that martini drinking, cigar smoking madman. That's the fantasy of ad agencies and creatives today. But the reality is, is that the big idea is dead. Big idea has been replaced by big data because the big idea was the divesting of responsibility from the organization. The big idea was giving all the creative to the creative agency. The big idea was just simply writing checks. And a big idea could make or break a brand. The big idea was Diamonds Are Forever or Tony the Tiger or Shaken Vac, Put the Freshness Back. Those made and broke brands. And it had nothing to do with the organization itself. In the movie, How to Get Ahead in Advertising, Richard E. Grant, who plays the creative industry ad exec, talked about selling pimple cream and talking about the fact that he was so disdainful for the companies that bought his services. And yet at the same time was so confident and cocky about his ability to make or break a brand. Like a rock star who's kind of given up on the fans and views them with some kind of disdain. We can't roll like that anymore. Because brands no longer count for anything. All that matters is how we interact with people in an authentic way. Branding has become brand experience. How we experience the brand is the brand. The conversations we have about the brand become our experience. What we have to do is not 
move downstream and divest responsibility to external ad agencies. But we have to, as an organization, move upstream. Upstream thinking is about finding the people and building processes around upstream problems using data to identify problems and solving those problems. That's what, if you read my human communication playbook, is what Zhang Yong, the founder of Didi, the ride-sharing platform in China, calls the infinite game. Get somebody from A to B and collect data C in the process. And doing that, we don't need a big idea. Why spend millions of dollars advertising to people we don't know and try to get them to buy our products when what we could be doing is building better understanding of our customers' problems and solving them? And that's the difference between finding customers for our products and finding products for our customers. The difference between functional competence and customer competence. You look at companies like Gojek, for example, they don't advertise a lot. They don't need to. Amazon doesn't advertise a lot. It doesn't need to. Starbucks doesn't advertise a lot. It doesn't need to. And when was the last time you saw Google advertise? The reason is, is because they have data. They have enough data about us and what we do and what our problems are and what we need. And that's why they don't need advertising or they don't need branding they don't need to be a brand rather their challenge is how do we unlock the human potential within our organization and find the people who want to tell stories and give them a voice so brand is like the office the legacy of an industrial model where it made sense to pull resources around the DNA of efficiency. And yet, as we're finding that these are, in some way, evolutionary echoes of our past, as opposed to tools to solve our problems today. And it's the same. We don't need brand anymore. What we need is to give our people a voice because they become what was in the old world experience or the brand by which people experience the organization. Because if I connect with the chief people officer or the front sales staff or the sales rep or the marketing manager in an authentic way, that becomes my experience of the brand. That is more important than anything millions spent on an ad campaign. That's the difference between a brand and a storytelling organization. So the digital transformation of communication isn't just about how we adopt digital. It's about the changing shape of business. Transform, change, shape. Digital transformation is the changing shape of business expedited by both digital, pandemic, artificial intelligence, the Asian century, work from home, the fourth industrial revolution. Digital transformation of communication is the changing shape of communication. What is the shape of business we need to become? Old brand, new storytelling organization.